Christ is risen. Before Easter, we started a series uh, following Peter. We followed Peter as he followed Jesus uh, from Galilee uh, down to Jerusalem, uh, to the cross, and to the empty tomb. And so we're going to pick up again with Peter. We're starting with that Holy Week. Because that week, uh, it covers 25% of the Gospels. So 25% of the Gospels about Jesus' life, 25% covers that one single week. It's the most important week in all of history. Which means it's a pretty important week for Peter, too. It kicked off great with Palm Sunday. Jesus parades into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And Peter's right there soaking in all the praise along with Jesus. The week got rougher. Jesus uh, began to come more and more conflict with the leaders inside Jerusalem. It became pretty clear that things were getting more intense, more serious, more dangerous. And it culminated on that Monday Thursday, that Thursday of a holy week. Jesus is in an upper room with his disciples inside Jerusalem, celebrating the Passover meal. And he kicks off with the most incredible object lesson ever. It was common in those days for uh, when you go to someone's home, you would uh, have a bowl provided by the host. And you could wash your feet before dinner there. It makes sense. you got sandals on. You're walking on dirty, dusty roads that you share with the animals. You get my feeling. It's kind of nasty, right? And so the host would provide a bowl of water. You wash your feet, and then you go inside. It's kind of like taking your shoes off during mud months, right? Same type of idea. If you went to the home of an uh, upper-class person, a servant would be there. Always the lowest servant on the totem pole in that household. And the servant would wash your feet. This was considered a humbling and demeaning task. It's kind of like being at an office someplace and the boss turns to you and say, you clean the toilets this week, right? It's that job. So Jesus, Lord of the universe, gets down and starts washing the feet of his disciples. He gets to Peter and Peter objects because Peter always objects, right? And Peter says, Lord, you will never wash my feet. Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, Peter, you have no part of me. See, Peter had an issue with pride. And Peter had a problem receiving grace. And Peter needed that lesson that night. Because in a few short hours, he was going to need Jesus' grace. And he says, Lord God, if that's the case, don't just wash my feet, wash all of me. I think Jesus said, you know what, Peter, I don't have to wash all of you, you're good. There's someone here I need to wash all of, but that's for another day. <laughs> the meal continues. Jesus tries to prepare his disciples for what's going to come up next. And he tells them plainly, the Son of Man is going to be handed over, he's going to be executed, and all of you are going to fall away. Never, Lord. I will never run away from you. Even if all these guys run, I will never run away. You've got to love Peter. Even if all these guys take off, I will never leave you. 
And because Peter has a problem with pride, Jesus says to him, You know what, Peter? Before the rooster crows, you're not going to deny me once. You're not going to deny me twice. You're going to deny me three times. And of course, Peter says, It'll never happen. They finish their Passover meal. It's late at night. They walk out of the city of Jerusalem. They go down into the Kidron Valley and up to what they call the Mount of Olives. We would call it the Hill of Olives Hill here in Colorado. It's not that big. But they call it the Mount of Olives. And on the mount, there is a garden. They call it the Garden of Gethsemane. It's still there today. And Jesus knows what's going to happen. And he needs his friends. He needs prayer. He needs their support. And he says to his disciples, stay here, keep watch, and pray. And so all the disciples, they promptly uh, got down, they knelt down, they folded their hands, they bowed their heads, and fell asleep. Jesus goes off and prays. And Judas arrives. He arrives with a large contingent of soldiers. The soldiers need Judas because they need to be able to find Jesus quickly amongst the crowd of people that are camping out for Passover on the Mount of Olives. They want to get in there, get Jesus, and get out. The crowds who are camped outside, many of them are from Galilee. They know Jesus. They love Jesus. And so the leaders send a large contingent of soldiers just in case anyone wants to cause trouble. Well, there's Peter. Peter wants to cause trouble grabs a sword and swings and cuts off the ear of one of the servants. Which is another way of saying Peter missed. And Jesus rebukes Peter because Jesus always rebukes Peter. He heals the man's ear. Peter runs. All the disciples run. Peter's the one who said he would never run. And the first chance he gets, he's running. He ducks in amongst the, the crowd and hides amongst the tents that are being set up there. But at least, at least he and John, they double back. And from a distance, they follow the soldiers, they follow Jesus, and they find out where they're taking him. They're taking him to the home of the high priest. It would have been undoubtedly a large home with a large courtyard. And here's the first break for the night. John knows someone who works for the high priest. And so he gets them inside this large courtyard area. John goes off and talks with his friends. And Peter uh, is working hard to, to mingle in. There would have been a large group of soldiers. would have been a lot of guests there for Passover. A lot of servants present there at the home of the high priest. Apparently, it's a cold night. There's a fire in the courtyard. And Peter is mingling in with the other people, keeping, keeping himself warm by the fire. And then something happens. The smallest, the most unobtrusive, the most powerless person you can imagine, a servant girl, the text says. Not even a servant woman, right? A servant girl 
looks at Peter, and she says, Were you with that guy, Jesus? No, 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 that, that, that wasn't me. Peter walks away from the firing and gets some distance from the crowd there. But his actions only serve to embolden this servant girl because she knows she's onto something. And she says again, you were, with one, you were one of those people with Jesus. I was not! <laughs> and now there's a scene. People start gathering around, looking at Peter, wondering, could he be? At that point, someone else says, you must be one of these followers. We can tell you're from Galilee because your accent gives it away. As God is my witness, may he strike me down. I don't know the man. And for the second time that night, Peter runs and a rooster crows. Jesus is convicted. They take him outside the city of limits to a hill called Golgotha. And there his arms are stretched out and he's nailed to a cross. And Peter is hiding. Jesus is suffering for the sins of the world and for Peter. And Peter is hiding. Around 3 o'clock that afternoon, Jesus dies. His friends come and they, they remove Jesus' body from the cross. And they quickly prepare his body for burial. They have to hurry because it's getting close to sundown and they have to be done before the Sabbath. And Sabbath began at sundown on Friday. And the women are doing hurriedly what Peter should have been doing. They bury Jesus. And they roll a stone in front of the entrance to the tomb. Sabbath ends. It's Sunday morning. And the women go out to finish preparing the body for burial. The women do it, one, because they are more brave than the men. And two, it's a little bit easier for them. They probably won't get arrested. The angels are there. And they tell the women, Christ is risen. He's not here. Go tell his disciples and Peter. They hurry off. They find Peter and John. Peter and John run. They're finally out of hiding. They run to the tomb. The Gospel of John says, John walked in and believed Peter does not. Not yet, at least. They go back into hiding in Jerusalem. And that evening, Jesus appears to them. The door is locked, and he just shows up in the room. And he says these words that all of them had to hear. They needed to hear, but especially Peter needed to hear. Jesus says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. He's alive. Everything's good for Peter now. Sure, he messed up, but it's all good in the end, right? And they are all overjoyed. 
I'm guessing Peter is the most overjoyed. Some days later, Peter and John, probably a few others, they're at the Sea of Galilee, and they're fishing because that's what Peter does. That's what he does best, right? He's a fisherman. And they've been fishing all night long, haven't caught a thing. They're about 100 yards offshore. And some guy shows up offshore and says, hey, you caught anything? Which is what every fisherman loves to hear when they have caught nothing, right? <laughs> Seriously. No, you haven't caught nothing. And the guy says, throw your net on the other side of the boat. Which is, when you think about it, a really dumb idea. The boats aren't that wide. And it's not like they're fishing with a string, right? good-sized net. you got to haul the thing in and move it five feet over and drop it down the other side. Like, it's going to make a difference. But hey, they've been fishing all night. They're desperate. Why not try it? Alright. So they haul the net in, drop it on the other side. And pretty soon, there's more fish than they can count. They're struggling to haul that net in. There's so much fish. And it's John who realizes that's the Lord. Peter is so excited, he leaves John with the net, jumps overboard, and swims to the shore. To which I'm sure John's response was, thanks. Thanks so much. Right. Peter swims in the shore, and Jesus is there. He's got a fire going. He's already got one fish preparing. He's making breakfast for them because Jesus is awesome. John finally arrives with the boat and the fish, and Jesus says, bring some more fish, let's have some breakfast. And I'm sure they sat down, had a great breakfast, and just talked and celebrated this man who was dead and is now alive again. They finished their breakfast, and Jesus says to Peter, let's take a walk. And Peter knows. They walk along the shore. Jesus says to Peter, he says, Simon, that's his given name. Peter was just a nickname Jesus gave him. But this is serious now, so he uses his given name. You might call it your trouble name, right? When someone calls you by your first, middle, and last name, that's your trouble name, right? He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Points to the shore, the boat, the fish. Peter says, yeah, Lord, no, I love you. More than fish. Ah, I love you, Jesus. They keep on walking. And Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter says, yeah, man, we're, we're good. I love you. We're you and me, Jesus. Jesus says, speak my sheep. They keep walking shore, along the shore a little bit further, and a third time Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And I think it's at this point it finally clicks for Peter. Jesus is walking back all the denials. And for every time that Peter denied even knowing who Jesus was, Jesus is walking him back. He's not just forgiving Peter. 
He's restoring Peter. And Peter, broken, says, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. You ever do a restoration project? You ever fix something that's just totally decrepit? Maybe some furniture and you restore a piece of furniture. Or maybe you restore a car. How many of you ever restore a car before? Me either, all right? So when we were in California, my, my neighbor was restoring this car. And all you car buffs in here are going to go, what kind of car was it? Yeah, dude, I don't know what kind of car it was. It was an old, nasty car. That's what it was. And he's fixing the engine. He's rebuilding the engine of this classic car. And he's out there forever restoring this car. His wife called the car the other woman. <laughs> he called it his baby. He got the engine fixed just right. He got the body perfect, restored, the upholstery, the seats, all back to original, perfect condition. The way it was meant to be. He restored it. So it could be used again. So it had a purpose again. So it was beautiful again. We talk a lot about forgiveness. And, and well, we should. We say things like, Jesus Christ died and rose for you, and he did it to freely forgive you for your sin. You are forgiven. You are free. You are his. And that's all true. But my friends, Jesus doesn't just forgive you. His goal is restoration. He wants to restore you. And you've been restored if you know that Jesus Christ died and rose for you to freely give you his forgiveness. You know you've been restored if you know deep in your soul that you have life now and forever because of Jesus' free gift of his life for yours. You know if you've been restored when you look at your life and you say, Jesus Christ died and rose for me. And now get to live for Him. You know you've been restored when you wake up every day and your main purpose in life isn't just to earn a buck or to get things, some things checked off your checklist. Your main purpose in life is to say, how can I live for Jesus today at my work, in my home, in my family? That's when you know you've been restored. You know you've been restored when you wake up every day and you're like, I'm not quite sure what this means. I don't know what it means to live for Jesus, but I know it means something. I've got to find out what that is. So you've been restored. And so my, for my question for you today is this. Have you been forgiven by God? Have you been restored by God? And some of you are thinking, I'm not quite sure. I don't know yet. And that's okay. So here's my prayer. My prayer is that you would know the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ so deeply that you'd be able to say, Jesus, Jesus, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. And I know that you love me. And you'd hear his response. Feed my sheep. 
And that means a different thing for each and every one of you here. For some of you, if you got sheep in your home, you got little ones, you're like, there's my sheep right there. I know exactly where my sheep are. I gotta feed them. I gotta tell them about Jesus' love for them. Some of you, you got kids out of the house, or you're going like, I got friends, I got workers, how do I feed those sheep? And Jesus is just going, I don't know, but you'll figure it out. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Because there's a world of people who don't know Jesus. And they don't know what real hope looks like. And they don't know what real security looks like. And they don't know what real grace looks like. They've got hints. They don't know the real thing. And Jesus says, Feed my sheep. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, thank you. Lord, um, thank you for your, not just your forgiveness, Lord, but your restoration. That by your free gift of your love, your grace, your forgiveness, you are making us new and restoring us to purpose and to beauty. Some of us here, we know that purpose. It's, it's kind of clear where you're calling us to feed your sheep. Lord, we pray that you would encourage us in that process, Lord, that we would follow you, that we'd join you on your mission. And Lord, for some folks here who are not quite sure what that looks like, Lord God, and I pray that you would walk with them and that they would see where you have already been, Lord Jesus, and that they would join you on that mission. And Lord, there's some folks here who are going, I'm not quite sure what this is all about. I was here after Easter and the food was good. And I'm back to check things out, Lord God. And Lord, I pray that they might know your incredible love. Your enduring grace. Your future hope. Amen.